from the book of Acts. And today, as we've been doing each week, we've been looking at a video clip. Today's video clip is going to set up our passage so that I can jump straight in and get into the preaching. Let's have a look at the clip. Thanks, Joe. After raising Tabitha from the dead, Peter stayed in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. A tanner processes animal skins to turn them into leather. After living for quite some time at Simon's place in Joppa, Peter had a very weird experience up on the roof. According to Acts chapter 8, Peter went to Simon's roof to pray, but soon nodded off. While sleeping, he had a wild vision of all sorts of animals that Jews considered unclean to eat. The vision ended with God saying, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. St. Peter's Church on the shore of the harbor commemorates the vision at Simon's house and the healing of Tabitha. Now, churches have been built and destroyed here for centuries. This latest version was completed in the late 1800s by the Franciscans. For hundreds of years, a church dedicated to the memory of St. Peter has dominated the skyline here, serving as a beacon to pilgrims coming to the Holy Land by sea and entering the harbor at Jaffa. Now, I'll be honest, I've been pretty hungry before. As a matter of fact, I could actually go for some hummus and falafel right about now. But I've never been so hungry that I passed out and had a vision. Now, Peter's vision seemed pretty weird, and he had no idea what any of it meant. But as God often did in Scripture, it would all be made clear soon enough. Because just at that moment, three men arrived at Simon's house asking for Peter. They said they were sent by a man named Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Acts 10, 1-6 Cornelius immediately sent three of his trusted men south to Joppa to find this man named Peter and bring him back to Caesarea. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Acts 10, 21 and 22. The next day, Peter went with the men to Caesarea. Now the cool thing is, we can still make this trip today. 
Caesarea Maritima is about 30 miles north of ancient Joppa, right on the same beautiful Mediterranean coast. Caesarea was an incredible port city built by Herod the Great to honor the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. After Peter arrived here, he was taken to the house of Cornelius, a leader in the Roman military. Now this section of Caesarea is filled with ruins of upscale homes where high-ranking officials such as Cornelius would have lived. Now maybe it was while he was traveling or maybe it was the moment he walked into Cornelius' home, but somewhere along the way, the meaning of Peter's vision from God became very clear to him. He said this, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was set for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Acts 10, 28 and 29. Cornelius shared his entire story, and then Peter responded, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Acts 10, 34 and 35. All right, we will hold it there for this week, but we're going to continue that story on next week. One of the great things about having a look at something like that is uh, sometimes I need to remind people the Bible, real people, real places. And I just love the way that sort of opens us up to that this morning, doesn't it? As we prepare ourselves to receive God's word today. This word today is groundbreaking. This is a, a most important chapter. God actually commits in this whole vision 66 verses uh, to this, where it's all about now the gospel going global to the Gentiles. And it contains here an incredible comparison between two God-fearing men. One is Cornelius. He is devout, but he's not a disciple. And the other is Peter, the apostle, the great apostle Peter, who is born again, but a bigot. A bigot, if you don't understand, a racist. So I've actually captured the main theme of the passage in this message entitled Pride, Prejudice and the Power of Prayer. Today we're going to look at Acts 10 verses 1 through to 35. The key verses there, thanks Joe, verse 34 and 35. Then at the end of all of this, at the end of the vision that, that Peter had seen when he comes to Cornelius, then Peter began to speak. I now realise. That's that aha moment for Peter where the pride and prejudice is beginning to subside. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, prejudice but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. Let me ask you this. Do you have any preconceived ideas about certain people, about certain people groups? You know, uh, we quite often say our biggest problems in the world today are people problems, aren't they? You know that little poem? To live above with those we love, how that would be glory! But to live below with those we know, 
Now that's another story. It's true, isn't it? Do you show favoritism? Do you take pride in not being like those other people over there? Do you show prejudice towards other people? Or are you like the man who said, I'm not prejudiced, I hate everybody. The Apostle Peter, he had a lot to learn, didn't he, around his own prejudices. And I was the one preparing the message this week and uh, I was challenged. Maybe you might find this morning's message a little bit challenging around your own pride and prejudice that, that may be so ingrained within you, you haven't even really anticipated the emphasis that it has on your own life. Tolstoy said this, Everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing themselves. So when it comes to pride and prejudice, uh, the first thing we need to do is we need to admit our ancestry. That's point one this morning. Peter, in context, he's off to Simon the Tanner's house. A, a tanner, he would have lived by the sea because he would have needed the salt water in order to tan animal skins. It was a smelly occupation. When these other guys arrived in Joppa looking for Peter, they would have just followed their nose. Because of the whole idea of using dead animals, of course, uh, people didn't like Simon the Tanner. The Jews certainly didn't like his business practices. And so here, Peter decides to stay with him. So this is super significant in the scriptures itself, understanding that God is beginning to break down these cultural barriers that Peter had, had instilled into his life from birth. We don't like people who don't adhere to our practices. You see, when we allow uh, customs, traditions, heritage to get in the way of us loving people, then we actually start to reveal a prejudice towards them. And we actually start to get in our own minds that Christ couldn't have died for everybody. I don't think anybody's immune to pride and prejudice. I sort of think, and I'll unpack the answer to this uh, as we move through, but we have two natures within us, don't we? Uh, we have the sin nature and Christ wanting to reign by the Spirit over us. And which one wins? The one that we feed the most, we always say. And this pride and prejudice, it's sort of part of our DNA as we come born into the world with that sin nature. And so it's not something that we, at any level, get fully over. I was uh, born in Scotland, brought up with that heritage. We were always brought up to dislike English people because of all of the uh, pain and hurt and oppression that we suffered for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. When you get to Newcastle, the last bridge before you enter Scotland, it says, English, go home. We don't want you up here. That's one sort of way of prejudice, isn't it? But I also grew up uh, with soccer in my blood. And soccer is very important, but from a religious perspective, there's a great divide between Catholic and Protestant. There are two big teams in Scotland. There's Glasgow Rangers, which is the Protestant team, 
and there's Glasgow, Catholic, uh, uh, Glasgow Celtic, which is the Catholic team. And as a Scots, I'm absolutely shocked when I hear people tell me they support Glasgow Celtic. You're not a Catholic. Do you know, it was so bad that back in the day, you couldn't play for Celtic unless you were a Catholic. And you couldn't play for Rangers unless you were a Protestant. And when you went to the ground, Hamden Park, the biggest park in Scotland, there was a big fence all the way down the middle of the ground. And you better make sure if you're a Celtic fan, you went into the right side of the ground or else you might not come out alive. And those prejudices are still in different people in different places across the planet today. But God wants to break down those barriers of prejudice and pride. He wants us to know that he came to save all people groups. And so the number one command that we always have to remember as we live out our Christian faith is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. James 2 verse 8 says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So God had prepared Cornelius to receive the gospel. Now he just had to prepare Peter to go and deliver the gospel to what were hated Gentiles. But you know what they hated worse than a Gentile? They despised the Romans. You know, if they walked past a Roman soldier... The Jews would spit on the ground in front of them. Remember, by law, they were commanded that they had to carry a Roman pack of a soldier for one mile. On the Roman road, there are these one-mile markers. And a Jew would not carry it one foot past that marker. That's why Jesus says to us, no, 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 you have to go the extra mile. You have to live in the second mile of your faith serving and loving others so God had to deal with this huge issue uh, that was impacting Peter's life Jews were proud of their religion they were proud of their race they were proud of their gender every good Jewish man wakes up in the morning and prays God I'm glad I'm not a Gentile I'm not a slave and I'm not a woman starting to get a bit of a feel for it aren't we now, in the Old Testament, God had actually separated the Jews from the rest of humanity. But it wasn't because they were smarter, superior, or more special than anybody else on the planet. In fact, time and time again in the Old Testament, God actually says, This is not why I have chosen you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. Uh, chapter 9, uh, uh, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people so just in case you're starting to think pretty good about yourselves God's got something to say so God chose Israel to be a demonstration 
to all other people groups of the relationship that he wants to have. It's a pattern of the love that God wants all people to receive. And it's only in that sense then that they're actually called a chosen nation. You can see from this, can't you, how someone's position on the planet can start to cause them to be quite proud and therefore prejudiced against other people. One Jewish rabbi said this, The only reason God created Gentiles was to provide fuel for the fires of hell. So Jews actually began to believe that they were superior. They actually believed that uh, Yahweh was their God, their God possession, that somehow they had exclusive rights, that God did favour Jews over Gentiles. And this ancestry has given rise, if you wonder why people across the planet are anti-Semitic, why they don't like the Jews, it's for this very reason. There's a little bit of arrogance in all of this, isn't there? To think that somehow you are favoured above everybody else. Folks, the Jews today still hold this dear in their hearts. So Peter grew up with this ancestry that God liked Jews before Gentiles and they actually believed that the Gentiles were, was, were sort of a, 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 an animal. Gentile people are not quite human. We might have to uh, admit a little bit of uh, ancestral bias in our own heritage when we think about some of that language some of the things where we've maybe uh, come to this country and not really upheld people as equal before God and yet if we don't reconcile and make restitution and repent then we continue to perpetuate the same racism but it's helpful to unpack, isn't it, uh, the tension that exists between Jew and Gentile. The Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first part of the Talmud. The Talmud is the Jewish law, civil and ceremonial. They'd actually added 613 different laws outside of the Old Testament in order to make sure that people obey. The Mishnah is the first part of that. And in the Mishnah, it actually uh, says there uh, that... Um, once a child is born, a Gentile child is born, they are unclean. If a Gentile woman is having trouble in birth, you are to let them die. Because that child will be born into adultery. Peter was brought up to have nothing to do with a Gentile. Not to even talk to one. If he accidentally bumped into a Gentile, he'd have to go home and wash. So the bigotry runs pretty deep. If they went into a Gentile uh, country, when they came back to Israel, they'd have to wash their shoes because that mud was considered defiled. If a Gentile person was milking a cow, a Jew couldn't drink the milk. They couldn't eat with a Gentile either. So Peter was raised in this cultural environment where it was considered ceremonially unclean. Everything had to be kosher. Everything had to be prepared a certain way in order for it to be clean before God. So he would have been repulsed when he saw in that vision that we heard on the video, this sheet coming down with all of these different animals and, and God telling him to eat. You know, he was horrified. 
filet mignon, pork chops. He's having none of it because he actually feels that in eating those things, he's actually being unfaithful to God. And remember, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about the book of Acts is a survey of the early church. And it doesn't have the complete depth of everything. All of their faith and understanding is being worked out as we go. But as we get to Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14, we see here on the cross that all of these ceremonial laws, Jesus came to do away with them so that we can live a full life. No rules, no rituals, simply relationship. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So it wasn't just a Roman soldier holding a hammer and nails that day. God Almighty had some things that he was nailing to the cross for you and I. You've heard that uh, term, I nailed it. Have you heard that term? It means I got it perfectly right, doesn't it? Well, on the cross, Jesus nailed it. Amen. He nailed all of our sins and wrongdoing. What they used to do back in the day was they would write all of your wrongs on parchment, right? And they could be washed away. And what he's saying here is that it's been washed away once and for all. And secondly, the Old Testament regulations have been cancelled. What's been erased? Moses' handwriting of all the Old Testament laws. When Jesus died on the cross and he shouted out, it is finished. Part of being finished was all of these ceremonial laws. The civil law is still in play, of course. Yes, what's right and what's wrong. It's still wrong to lie, cheat and steal. But the ceremonial laws have been washed away. You see, Jesus came to begin to tear down some of those walls that we put up to divide people. It's not to say there aren't differences between us. There's lots and lots of differences, isn't there? But they don't define who we are. Jesus came to destroy those man-made barriers. Divisions between countries, social divisions between rich and poor, and gender divisions between male and female. You know, in uh, Jewish Orthodox uh, synagogues, they, they still separate the, the men and the women. Yeah? They're not allowed to sit together. And yet here in the church of Jesus Christ, we're all in, aren't we? Uh, from the four corners of the globe, we have uh, elderly sitting with young, we have rich sitting with poor, we have male sitting with females. You know why? Because we're all one at the cross. In James chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But if you show favoritism, you sin. So understand, we are in a church this morning where we accept everybody. Do you know why some churches don't? Some churches won't accept everybody simply because uh, they confuse acceptance with approval. We accept everybody because Jesus Christ accepts us just as we are. We walk in just as we are. We came to Christ just as we are. We don't uh, approve of everybody's lifestyle Maybe everybody here is not living a great and godly uh, Christian life, but we accept you as you are because Christ died once for all. So we're all part of God's one family. And you know what they say about family? 
mostly sweet with a few nuts. So firstly, when it comes to pride and prejudice, we've got to admit our ancestry. But we've also got to realise that Christ cured us on the cross. Next, when it comes to our pride and prejudice, we need to adjust our attitude. Interestingly, you know, Peter's vision, it's all about these animals, but somehow along the way, he gets to understand that the application is, is not categorising people according to their ancestry. I'm sure when he uh, came to verse 13, he wasn't expecting to hear a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Because in verse 14, he pushes back on God in a real big way. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter had kept these dietary laws his whole life, so he's really upset. He's horrified, and he basically bursts out, No way, God! No! You notice in the text, he uses the word Lord. Listen, you cannot call God Lord and then say, No. It's either yes, Lord, or he's not Lord at all. But how many times do we do the same thing in the same way? I wonder if uh, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? You know, I think we all sort of have that experience, don't we, from time to time? Yeah? Where we're actually trying to tell God we know what's best and we know what's right and this is what we should be doing. You see, Peter was raised in this language of legalism. Legalistic people, legalistic churches. They always tend to, you know, if you walk into a legalistic church, you've got it pretty down, haven't you? There's rules and regulations that you have to obey. You don't want to sit in the wrong seat in one of these legalistic churches. There are certain things that are bound, yeah? And so we can see here that sometimes legalists get so caught up in their own legalistic lists uh, that you have to obey their rules and regulations, otherwise... There's something wrong with you. I love what Ray uh, Stedman said. I've quoted this. I quote this a lot. A legalist sees Christianity as a thing of rules and regulations. In his heart, he believes he can gain God's favour by doing certain things and abstaining from doing other things. Basically, he is still trying to earn a right relationship with God and has not yet accepted the way of grace. A legalist lives in moral terror that some Christian somewhere is enjoying himself. Legalism all about rules and rituals and very little about a relationship. So hang on. Hang on to Galatians 5 verse 1. It says there, don't let anybody take away your freedom. Stand fast in it. And the minute I saw that word freedom, my heart and head went to brave heart. Freedom! Christ came and died for our freedom and we need to make sure that we're not bound back by rules and regulations of legalism, but we live in liberty. Peter, he was allowing this lecturing of the Lord to get in the way of his worship. Understand, uh, people have allergies these days, don't they? People seem to be allergic to everything. But he wasn't allergic to gluten. 
He wasn't lactose intolerant, but somehow he believed that he could do serious damage to his spiritual life if he ate something that was unclean. And so for a second time in Acts 10 verse 15, uh, God spoke to him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And remember, we're talking about people here, aren't we? Not uh, dietary rules and requirements. And yet how often do we do that? Maybe there's someone who's brought up in Bendigo. Maybe they've lived a pretty unsavoury sort of life. Maybe they've been low socioeconomic people. Maybe they've even been a quite well-to-do type of people. But maybe they've then fallen on hard times. Maybe they've ended up in jail for something that they've perpetrated upon other people. And maybe it's something quite hideous and quite sinister. And they come into the church and they come forward for forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation. They're washed in the blood of Jesus. They're born again of the Spirit. They're a new creation in Christ. But we're still a little apprehensive. We still treat them a certain way. Like there might just be... And we wait for them to fall. We wait for their real nature to rise to the fore. And you know, whenever you treat someone like that, you're actually calling God a liar. You're actually telling God that you believe in your heart that no, 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 God, you cannot make someone who is unclean clean. And sadly, I think we often do that in the church. You know, the reality is you cannot throw mud at someone without some mud sticking to your hand. One of the things I often find in judging is that we like to judge ourselves by one standard but judge everybody else by another. You know, uh, I like to judge myself by the standard of good intentions. Yeah? Well, you know, I never got around to doing that but I certainly intended to do it so that's okay for me. But I might judge you by what you said and didn't do. If you said you would do it and you didn't do it, well... And so often, you know, I think that we feel like well, my conscience is clear. Usually I've got to remind people they've just got a bad memory. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, this is Peter. Remember, maybe he's reflecting back on all of this. And he comes up with the formula to adjust our attitude. All of you, clothe yourself with humility. See, that's the first garment that we should have in the Christian wardrobe. When we get up in the morning, we clothe ourselves in that humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And again, this is part of the, the, the DNA that we have within us, this, this pride nature that manifests itself all the time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The Greek for humility it's an important word tap i nayu tap i nayu and it actually means to level a hill now think about that you see whenever you are proud you are looking down on someone aren't you you ever uh, gotten so mad with someone you said i'm going to cut that person down to size well humility is actually cutting yourself down to size so you don't look down on anybody, you look them straight in the eye. 
and you understand that they are like you saved by the grace of God humility is where you remember that the ground is level at the foot of the cross so finally when it comes to pride and prejudice we need to align our actions align our actions and we'll see how Peter did that from verse 23 then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests my goodness certainly not he wasn't allowed to be in the same house with them let alone he offers them bed and breakfast the walls are coming down the Jews believed they'd become unclean and yet he went with them uh, to Caesarea verse 25 is pretty stunning as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He says, stand up. I am only a man myself. Cornelius is so thrilled to have the great apostle in his home. He actually, literally what it means is he's, he's before the Lord. He's kissing. He's throwing kisses at his feet. First thing that struck me, in Catholicism, Peter is the first infallible Pope. And yet right here, he confesses in and of himself. I too am a man. Verse 26 and 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. I wonder how he felt, hey? Oh, hang on, I've got a couple, I'm getting used to this. Now suddenly there's a whole gathering of this lot. Oh, man, up against the wall, don't go anywhere. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. So Peter's starting to know that God's starting to pulverise his prejudice here. His attitude is getting adjusted as he declares in verse 28. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Three times it takes for God to get the message through. A lot of people say, why three? I don't really know. Some make up the uh, story. It's only an assumption that uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and uh, God the Son, they uh, got together and said, come on, this bigotry's got to stop. This has got nothing at all to do with the spirit of Jesus. And Paul, uh, sorry, Peter, he had to learn that message, didn't he? You know, in Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus said this, He that is with me gathers, but he that is against me scatters. You know, I think, folks, we can judge our whole life by that statement. Are you a gatherer or a scatterer? When people are around you, do they feel gathered towards the gospel in God's grace? Do they feel that you accept them and that all the boundaries and barriers come down as you address yourself in that humility? We all know of those people who are scatterers, don't we? Suddenly the walls of hostility go up because you're one of those people. Even it can be so bad as you go to that church. And suddenly we're building all of these walls and dividing what Christ came to destroy. Peter had to learn that lesson from the Lord. The barriers are beginning to crumble. He went through that process. Suddenly he, he finds himself at Simon the Tanner's house. And then suddenly he's inviting guests in and now he's with Cornelius with all these Gentiles in the home. 
want you to ask yourself this week what steps do I need to take to bring down my own preconceived pride and prejudice I do well to remember what Ken Ham from Creation Magazine said there's only one race the human race you know and he saw that sheet with all those animals in it it's representative of the church the church is filled with different races different ethnicities and different political parties but we're all going to be raptured to one and the same heaven we're all going to be together for eternity the themes picked up in Galatians 3 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise do you know what that means? the ground is level at the foot of the cross we are all the same we're of the same race. So God, in essence, is saying there's no room for racial or sexual or social or religious walls of hostility. We are one in Christ. Yes, there are differences, but the difference doesn't define us. The only difference, are you in Christ or are you not? And in Ephesians 2, verse 14 and 17, we're told, For Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Hallelujah. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus Christ came to bring down the walls of division that we keep erecting. The Jewish temple was a series of walls, wasn't it? It divided everybody, yeah? Probably three main divisions they had there. One was racial, one was sexual, the other was religious separation. They're the stones that went into the wall of the temple. What holds the wall up? Mortar. Mortar is usually a mix of sand and cement. But here it was a mix of pride and prejudice. Pride. Pride is whenever you look down on someone because of their race, because of their uh, face, because of their place. If I look down, it's lovely being up on the stage today, isn't it? Maybe I should have done it from down there, John. When I look you in the eye, I say, I am just like you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're one. And we bring down the walls of division and hostility. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. That's what we need to continue to do as people of faith today. Prejudice is just simply when you prejudge someone based on your own preconceived ideas. We've done that, haven't we? Oh, look at this person coming towards me. No haircut. Few teeth missing. Daggy jeans. You ever done that? Of course we've done that. We're equal at the cross. So again, I just want to challenge you this morning. Do you have some walls that God is asking you to bring down today? 
so that you can be someone who gathers, not scatters. I think our freedom is pretty important in Christ. I think it's something that we need to continue to fight for. As I uh, finish uh, this morning, back in 1966, Roger Williams recorded an Academy Award-winning song, Born Free. You'll remember it from the same movie if you're old enough. Some of you who are a little bit younger might not know the story. It was all about Joy and George Adamson who lived in Kenya and they raised this lion cub called Elsa. When it was a fully grown lion, they decided to release her back into the wild. Remember, she was raised in captivity. They released her back because she was born to be free. One year later, they went back to visit her. They went down to the area in Kenya where they had released her and they saw her and she now had three lion cubs of her own. Would she remember them? And if you know the story, there was this joyful, wonderful, sort of playful reunion, wasn't there? Born free. Some of the words say, and life is worth living. She was born in captivity. But she was born to be free. And I think that's a great point of comparison for the Christian life. You and I are born in captivity to sin, but it's not as God intended it. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that we can't be born free, but we can be born again free. Folks, the cost of our freedom cost Christ his life on the cross. And that's why it's so important that we continue to be freedom fighters and fight for our freedom and live free. Amen? Let's get the worship team back up. We'll finish with a song.